So how are you feeling about gasoline prices these days? Last I saw, it's about 335 in this area. In June, it was 457. So it feels a lot better than then, doesn't it? Almost makes you forget that it's about 50 cents more than a year ago and about 90 cents more than before the pandemic, when it was somewhere around $2.40. It's kind of like the frog in the pot on the stove. You turn up the heat slowly, and he won't even know until it's too late, and he's boiled. It's easy to become habituated, kind of desensitized over time. It's a little bit like foul language. You're around it, you hear it, it begins to seem normal. You become desensitized to it, and then you find that it's actually coming out of your own mouth. The poor man, Lazarus, wasn't always in the rich man's life. Day after day, he sat there begging, but they both had a prehistory to that time. Perhaps lost, misfortune, lack of opportunity, landed Lazarus in that place. Perhaps he was partly at fault. Who's to say? But the rich man? To ignore someone so blatantly and regularly in need suggests a history of being desensitized to the needs of others, to the presence of others just in general. Maybe it hadn't always been that way, maybe it had, but the rich man's life came to be about himself. Or maybe not even about himself, but about getting and consuming. About unrestrained appetites that took on a life of their own, kind of like addictions. And they ended up dominating him until his lifestyle was at odds with his humanity. He lived as though he was self-sufficient, dependent upon no one for anything. Unable to identify with those in need, because seemingly he could satisfy every need of his own with what he could acquire and use and consume. The dramatic description of the rich man post-death was just an image of the lie of his life. These goods are mine, the rich man said in so many ways, kind of like Gollum. But what did Jesus have Abraham say? You received what was good during your lifetime. It wasn't yours. You are needy and dependent too. I mean, who hasn't been dependent upon someone? For mom and dad, for life? Teachers, for education? Friends, for happiness? One's nation, for protection, opportunity, and ultimately God for one's own existence? talent, and a multitude of blessings. The rich man's life was a lie. It wasn't consistent with the fact of his existence and talents and blessings. For so long, his wealth allowed him to triumph over reality, hunger, thirst, loneliness, boredom, ignorance. His wealth allowed him to triumph over reality for so long that he began to believe he was not bound by it, by the truth of his nature, by his wealth, and by the poor man in need. No, the rich man thought, he alone could determine how to live 
and whether or not he was responsible to something higher than himself. That's what Amos was talking about when he said, you create your own accompaniment. You don't dance, you don't sing to any other tune than the, your own creation. Teens, young adults, I mean, there's a special relevance for you here, it seems to me. For you have grown up with technologies that triumph over the created world in an extraordinary way. You hold in your hands devices, each of which have more computing power than all of NASA in 1969 when they landed two astronauts on the moon. Eye devices. That's what many of them are called, right? iPhones, iPads iMacs, and then we have iTunes, iCloud, and numerous apps are designed for your self-promotion and self-preoccupation, all of which seems to make you rather oblivious to those around you, at least at times. I mean, that's a really hard environment in which to mature. Hedonism doing whatever pleases your eye, bending reality to your eye instead of bending your eye to reality, that's consistently held out to you as the way to have a satisfying life. Unrestricted choice at a personal micro level is advanced as your highest good and right, even to the point of suggesting you be freer by changing the body God has given you if you so desire. Now, this is paired in a fascinating way with a moral fixation on the societal, the macro, the large-scale level, you know, from protecting the environment to demonstrating against institutional shortcomings. I mean, don't get me wrong, these can be fine pursuits. But have you ever noticed how that focuses our time and attention on things generally far beyond our reach, while most often ignoring the things that need to be done right before our eyes? Kindness to your siblings, gratitude to mom and dad, chores, honesty on homework and tests, refraining from gossiping about others and speaking ill of them, but if we can't set our own soul straight, how can we hope to straighten out the world? You see, in a sense, they, your siblings, parents, and others, they are the Lazaruses at your own doorstep. They are the reality that beckons us to bend to them. And in fact, being honest with others, attending to the needs of your siblings, being respectful to mom and dad, such things as these end up being not simply good for others, but by responding appropriately to reality, we distance ourselves from the rich man who lived at odds with his humanity. I mean, in other words, when we give to others what is in accord with their humanity, we live honestly consistent with reality. We become more human, which achieves the most far-reaching of changes possible. There's one of the secrets to a life well-lived. Be on your guard against the desensitization that seems to come with time 
a material wealth and power over the created world. Take on the responsibility required by the facts with which life presents you, including the fact of being created by God and blessed by him. Such a life, Jesus seems to suggest, results not in the withering isolation of the rich man, but in the eternal companionship with those who have bent their eye to what's true and shown compassion and pity too. 